right, well, welcome back to the Noobsy Sportscast. And I know a lot of my um, soccer crazy pals here in uh, in Regina will be jealous, but uh, I guess by a twist of fate, uh, there was an, a, a young a defenseman that signed with the Estevan Bruins in the SJHL named uh, CJ Karazin, and it was a name that stuck out to me because I'm a crazy soccer fan and uh, and I followed the game for a long time in this country. And it turns out that his father is longtime Canadian national teamer, England um yeah a, a england uh championship player and different levels in england uh it is uh carlo corazon carlo thank you so much for joining me today i really appreciate it no problem jamie really look forward to this when you reached out uh i had no hesitation i love crossing fields and not ever being a hockey guy in my life and having a kid that's aspiring to to go on to things uh it's been a really neat journey for me to see that side of things yeah, for sure, and we'll definitely talk a little bit SJ in a bit. But uh, you know, I gotta ask you, uh, you know, yourself. Uh, you know, obviously, you're somebody that stayed in the game. You've done media work uh, for the Vancouver Whitecaps, and and watching this national team uh, uh, after you played uh, 59 times for it uh, at a different at a different era, but uh, I guess had your your own types of success. And I want to ask you about about that, especially the Gold Cup, but. Uh, um, you know how much of a how much of a gut shot? Uh, what was your I guess initial reaction when uh, when you when we saw that uh, Canadian team uh, get pummeled by the Americans in Orlando uh, uh, last uh, last weekend? Well, obviously it, it, it's disappointing because you know it took so many years to get a positive result uh, the month previous when when Canada went on to win against the U.S. and to have that sort of overturn in such quick succession kind of leaves a little bit of bitterness in your mouth because sometimes you don't play the U.S. for two, three years in a row. Well, if you get to sit on that kind of laurel and build on it, it creates a really, really good atmosphere. And I'm not saying that it hasn't, but for them to come back and, you know, handily play against us and beat us um, so soon after that great result, it's a tough pill to swallow. Yeah, no doubt, uh, and obviously it's still not uh, not out of the question for Canada to qualify for the twenty twenty two World Cup, but it's definitely got a lot harder, especially given El Salvador beating Dominican Republic and the USA, of course, taking taking care of business against Cuba. So um, we won't get into the nuances of that out there. Just to suffice to for the, say it to the people out there listening that it's um, yeah, it's it's a bit of a long, long shot now. So there's that, Carlo. I, I know you and I could get into a million things. Um, but the the one thing I want the first thing I wanted to get get into with you was um, uh, you asked me sort of before we went on the air about how much I followed your career and and, and uh, I'm sure you've had lots of people come up to you and say this but uh, my brother and I uh, would sit in front of our TV any single time there was a national team game on because it was you know what we could watch kind of was that and and uh, you know watching you guys. Uh, you know, come from wherever you were meant a lot to us as as kids growing up and getting to watch the game that we love soccer. And um, the one thing that uh, we really remember about your career, obviously, didn't watch it too much in in England with no disrespect intended because it was kind of impossible <laughs> at the time. But uh, I do remember, um, I guess, your run up to the to the Gold Cup in two thousand, the qualification playoff, and and how prolific you were scoring. Obviously, for those who don't know, you were. Uh, a forward, and then and then at the Gold Cup, I guess you, you were the guy that that ended up putting all sorts of balls in, uh, beating, scoring against Mexico, scoring against Colombia in the final. Uh, I remember, uh, I believe you you got maybe a at least one against Costa Rica, I think, in the group stage too. 
Um, but uh, I guess how confident were you? How good did you feel kind of late 99 and, and early 2000 there uh, in that run and a historic win for Canada for sure? Yeah, it was, it was for sure the best sort of 18 months of my career. I had come off um, <clears throat> a really good season in Northampton um, after going there on a Bosman free from Plymouth. And, uh, you know, things were just ticking really well. We had a change at, at the helm at, uh, at, at Canada Soccer with Olga Hosea coming in probably a year previous to that and just laying the foundations of what we really needed. Um, by no means can I compare that team to the offensive flair that the Canadian team has right now, as you touched on, very, very talented, probably the most talented offensive group I've ever seen or anybody's ever seen in a Canadian uniform. So, but we had some pieces. We knew we had some pieces. We just needed a bit of structure. We needed some guidance and Holger came in and provided that. He uh, took us away on a couple real um, significant uh, pre-tournament trips where we were almost locked away um, and just focused on what we needed to do. And uh, it all came to the culmination there in the Gold Cup. And uh, you're right, I had two goals against Costa Rica in the opening game, which brought us back to tie that game, which you know gave us the belief we could go on and do something. And then getting uh, equalizing goal against Mexico, um, you know, was was another highlight. And then going on to beat Colombia and Australia led Colombia, not just any Colombia team. And uh, and we went on and won the Gold Cup, which, you know, if there's one thing, James, that, that really, really, um, I think when I go around and talk to the, the players on that team uh, that we're all retired now, is we never really got to celebrate it. We never really, mm. in Canada, got to celebrate that success. And, you know, yeah, we had one qualifying um, campaign for the World Cup, and there's nothing against that, and that, that should be celebrated. But, you know, to go and actually win something with Canada and win it outright, not come second, third, to actually win it, which we did, uh, we've never really been given that chance to celebrate that uh, success. Yeah, it's too bad. And uh, definitely, I can tell you, I don't know, again, if you guys felt forgot, but uh, whenever, obviously, the Voyagers get together, I know, and the guys I know in the Voyagers, uh, obviously, it's it's a fond memory, but uh, you know, I feel like maybe the rhetoric around TFC's victories, uh, you know, lately uh, is like sort of this is the first time Canada's won anything in soccer, and some of us have had to be like, hey, you know, actually, <laughs> like there was a, a group and and whatever. I, I guess uh, you know, again, to continue down that memory lane, uh, you know, obviously, um, I think anybody who watched the national team at that time was a Paul Pesky Salido fan, uh, and you and him seem to have. Uh, quite a connection and he was banging in goals for Fulham and uh, a great club at the time too and uh, it was it was cool to see uh, and kind of own that uh, what was that relationship with you and, and Pesky Salido like uh, back then because it seemed like you guys worked well together oh well we Pesh and I have been on various national teams since we were well U16 so I've known Pesh for a long long time um what a dynamic player. Um, again, previous to, I think, this grouping of Canadian forwards, I don't think there's been a more dynamic striker in Canada, and that's not being disrespectful to myself or anybody else. He just he had a different element that he brought to the team, and him and I just seemed to click. As much as I'm not a super big guy, I played that way. I led the line, and 
he would play off of me and uh, we had a lot of success. He, he's a very, very good player and, you know, his career shows that and, uh, and, and him and I seem to click right, like I say, right from when we were young. Yeah, and it's interesting you mentioned that. Everybody sort of has this um, maybe static way of looking at soccer, maybe where, you know, they think about, uh, you know, back in the day, there was the big number nine and, and the, the Danny Dickio type, I guess. And, and you slap head, you pound it in, and that was the center forward. But uh, you and Pesky Slito weren't big guys. Pesky was, I don't know, I'm definitely well under six feet, I guess, maybe under, under 5'10 even. I, I know he was smaller than you. Um, so. No, no, you're being very generous. Pesci was smaller than me. <laughs> Pesci was probably about five eight, maybe. Yeah. And I, I, I touched just under five eleven. So, I mean, we weren't twin towers. Trust no. me. Um, I don't think any defenses thought, um, oh boy, these two guys are gonna dominate us in the air. But you know, that wasn't our game. But we could, we could challenge and compete in the air as well. Yeah, for sure. And and uh, you know. The, those those types, uh, I guess there was Rob Friend was around and he was kind of that, that bigger guy eventually and and the, the national team had definitely, no, but whenever national teams would play other countries, they didn't know anything about Canada, like, oh, well, there's some size to this Canadian team, but but then I'm like, well, the guys banging in, the goals aren't, uh, aren't, aren't the biggest, but uh, anyways, there you go, could could uh, reminisce about this stuff for, for hours, I'm sure, and I'd, I'd love to if you're ever, you know, in, in Regina or something, uh, watching watching your boy. Um, but yeah, I guess we touched a little bit on the disappointment of the national team and, and, and how cool it is now, but it's still, you know, it is so special to see how young this group is. And, um, you know, obviously Alfonso Davies gets so much press, but Jonathan David deserves a ton, you know, what Cavallini's doing in, in the Mexican league as well. And, and it goes down the list. Uh, how, how far, I don't know if this is a possible question to answer, but, uh, you know, how you mentioned that it's, you know, a far more talented team maybe than the era that you were, but, uh, you know, how, how much so would you say it is like, how would you guys do you feel like if you played against this modern national team? I mean, no disrespect, obviously, because as I've mentioned, my friends and I, my brother and I have nothing but love for the era that you played in. Um, but, uh, how, how different would you say it is to, to those who don't know? Well, it's so different. I mean, the game has changed astronomically. I mean, it has over time, but in the last eight to ten years has just taken on a completely different level of athleticism, skill, and just just everything that is uh, available to these athletes nowadays is, is significant, and, and it's showing. Um, I, you know, I, it's very hard for me to ever take... Um, a player from certain eras and stick them in today's era and say, well, you know, how do you think so-and-so would do? Um, because the games evolved so much. I mean, you have your um, complete outstanding once in a lifetime players like Maradona to me in today's age would probably even do better because mm-hmm. of his, his ability on the ball um, was not limited, but it was definitely uh, curved by the way you were allowed to defend in that era. Well, you can't do that anymore. So imagine what he would do. So you have the the one-off, but I would say, you know, I don't really think you can compare. The one thing I I think um, for sure, and I think you would probably get a consensus across the board if if you did a study on ex-players, is we were defensively a lot more sound back then. Um, Mm. Our center backs and goaltender, nothing against the guys that are there today again. Um, 
defensively we were we were a juggernaut and and to break that down uh took a significant amount um then the other thing was is we had a lot of guys on the back end especially um you touched on passion myself up front but on the back end that had significant numbers of games abroad and playing in levels like the premier league and frank yallop and craig forrest and mark watson and randy samuel like the list goes on and on that these guys went and, and really made a career for themselves in Europe when it was tough for a Canadian. I'm not saying that it's not tough now, but back then, if, you know, for a Canadian kid to come as a soccer player to Europe and make a team over there, it was difficult. Um, so, you know, there was definitely some differences. Again, to, com- to compare the two teams, as you asked me to, very different. Um, but, you know, rightfully in their own right, both very good teams. Yeah, no, no question, and uh, I, I, I should, I, I do want to get your uh, perspective too, because um, a little bit of background on me, just a tiny bit. Uh, don't want to talk about me, but um, I did work for uh, for the Sportsnet.ca for a couple of years, uh, 2012, 2013, and um, and, and I was, so I would see Craig Forrest, uh, you know, all the time, and and I was one of the few guys, I guess, that was a soccer writer, and and worked with uh, John Molinaro, and he was very gracious to me, and. And obviously, Craig Forrest is an outstanding person. Just uh, love talking to him. A great guy. Uh, but I, I, uh, I, I should. I, I went to watch my friend play at the soccer center in uh, Vaughan, uh, where I'm actually from, uh, from Vaughan, Ontario, from north, just north of Toronto. And uh, and I saw the uh, couple of the jerseys that uh, Craig wore. Um, you know, purpley brown. Um, just awful, some awful jerseys um, for Canada. Nationally. Do you guys give him uh, the gears for some of those not, some of those goalkeeping jerseys he used to wear? Because he, he obviously made, made amazing saves and did really well for West Ham, obviously, and, and we were all super proud of him. But those, some of those jerseys were insane. Well, it's funny because the thing that the average person or soccer fan doesn't really understand, we have no choice. Craig wouldn't have had a choice. He would have had a choice of two, but he would have had worse and worser, if that's a word. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, so, you know, his choices weren't really up to him. It wasn't like he got to choose what jerseys they were going to print off for Canada. We, we basically got given what we were given. And again, you know, it stems back to what I said. We, you know, Canada's never really been a juggernaut. Now we see them sporting Nike, and, and that's phenomenal. But, you know, back in the day, it was pretty much whoever sponsor was going to step up, we would have to wear at the time. So we went through some really interesting changes on the national team. And I look back now, even at my collection, and some of them, like you say, were were terrible. Some were not so bad and some were good. So we, we, we got a definitely an array of jerseys over the time I played. Yeah, well, no, I, I, wasn't, I wasn't chirping the, uh, the, the, the regular kits, to be honest. I thought the regular kits were always fine, but just... Just some of the stuff that Craig wore, I thought, was, uh, was pretty questionable. But there you go. Fair enough. That was a good diplomatic, uh, good diplomatic answer. Uh, you know, again, continue to keep going all over the map. But uh, I think you know, whenever there's a manager and things don't go well, uh, um, he's under the under the heat a lot. And um, you know, a lot of people are talking these days about you know these couple last couple of days about some of the decision making processes that uh, John Herdman made with regards to. You know, especially Alfonso Davies playing fullback, um, especially ahead of Kamal Miller, who seemed to do really well in Toronto. Um, and, and it seemed like it maybe, you know, obviously from, I don't know what to call myself an amateur, but um, from a journalism perspective, it seemed like 
Um, you know, in, in Orlando is where you needed more solidity, not less. And, and uh, obviously, Larea did really well for Toronto, but uh, again, not exactly a defensive ace. And then uh, even though Alfonso did well in Bayern, it seems like it was it's a different world playing for Canada fullback versus for uh, for Bayern. So uh, I guess what was some of your perspectives on some of the criticism that Herdman's come under, um, you know, since that uh, result against the USA? Well, I mean, you put yourself out there as a manager, especially in the national team, um, to be shot at. You know, you get the praises when things go well, which you did a month earlier, and then when things don't go your way, you're kind of sitting back, and that's sort of what happened. And, you know, whether or not you agree or disagree with um, John Herdman's player selection and positional um, placement of the players, um, I listened to interviews after the game with him, and, you know, I, I, I do follow it very intently, especially the national team, and, you know, he said we went there to win. We went there to go win a game. Now, you know, if you've played in CONCACAF and been in the wars in CONCACAF like I have and some of us have, is you can't go there and think you're going to play toe-to-toe to the United States, especially after you just wounded them a week or a month earlier. Um, you have to be, a, you know, solid, as I talked about, that solid defensive uh, block that is difficult to beat, and then you hopefully you get something. Um, you know, every game's different, every scenario is different, and, you know, you wonder, did, did everybody get caught up in the emotion of a month earlier um, and, and make decisions on, on those emotions rather than, okay, what is the best case scenario here? I mean, you turn around with that result. I mean, it was far from being a draw. But if you turn around and think about getting a draw there, how different the whole outlook looks. Um, so, you know, CONCACAF is such a difficult place to play and win. And I think once you find a place where you finally got your nose ahead in a certain scenario, um, I think you need to really stay focused and bring that to fruition. And I feel like the national team went in there um, trying to get something that maybe was unattainable um, by going and saying, we're going to play you toe-to-toe. I just don't think that is the approach in that scenario. But who am I? I'm not the manager of Canada, and John Herdman is, and and I'm watching it from a television set. He's watching it live. So, um, you know, from my perspective, again, being played in CONCACAF, I, gosh, through all the years, over a hundred times. Um, you know, there's certain places and certain scenarios that you need to recognize that you can't go um, toe-to-toe with certain teams. Yeah, well, I mean, I don't need to tell you, obviously, from a fan's perspective. There's just sort of always something in the pit of my stomach. It doesn't matter where in CONCACAF. It could be... The Virgin Islands it could be Costa Rica, it could be Honduras, it could be the States. Whenever there's a CONCACAF banner flying, it uh, something grows uh, uncomfortably in the pit of my stomach. Uh, I guess some people call it CONCACAFiness. Uh, I think the MLS extra time, maybe people call it CONCACAFiness, or I definitely know my brother and I do. So um, there's 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 something undescribable about uh, soccer and CONCACAF and. Yeah, I think you think you couldn't agree more. Hit the the nail on the head. A uh, couple more questions, Carlo. I really appreciate your time again. I know you and I could chat for hours. I'd oh, love hours. to. Do, 
love to do that. Um, you know, obviously things didn't go uh, as hope for the for the Whitecaps uh, last year. I guess that that maybe is an understatement. And um, you know, it seemed like you talk about that that ability to recognize um, what what needs to be done, maybe to grind out some results. And I think Mark Dos Santos when he came in maybe had a vision and then realized, oh, you know, like maybe we're not on the same footing as some of these other MLS teams. So let's try to, to get results a different way. Uh, what was it like this past year from from sort of a, a much closer up looking up uh, perspective? Because it seemed like, you know, obviously Mark seems like he really understands uh, what needs to be done on a given day. And he's got great ideas, but he's he's used to he's used to winning. He's used to being at the top of a, a league. And, and it's just a, I guess it was a different world for him last year. Oh, for sure. I mean, one thing you can't knock is winning is a great habit, and Mark's had it um, over his career previously to coming to Vancouver. Um, I've known Mark a lot of years. Um, obviously, crossed paths with him years and years ago when he was in Montreal, and um, I was still playing, and um, he was getting into the coaching realms back then. Um, he's a proven winner. The biggest thing Mark DeSantis is going to need is support and belief longevity to get it right because I truly believe and I've been on record before saying this um, and on TSN 1040 here in Vancouver saying this guy will get it right he just needs a long enough leash and enough time to get it right yeah you're gonna have to be patient yeah there's gonna be some pitfalls along the way but the one thing that that Mark and his brother and his, his, his staff are, is they're very methodical. Nothing's just done for the fact of doing. Um, and, and that's, that's how he's, he's come to success. Yes, you're right. He's gone into some situations in other leagues where he's walking into stronger, um, say, um, organizations at the time that he entered, but he knew that it was a, a big undertaking here in Vancouver. He knew that there was a lot of work to be done, um, when you spoke with him, and I did many a times, he knew it wasn't going to turn around in one year. He knew, even though they went on three-game win streak, that wasn't reality. Um, but you ride that wave, as any sports franchise does, right? You try and grasp onto that. But the reality is, is now they've, they've put in place the director of football, and you know Schuster's going to come in and, and do a good job. Um, he's gonna he's gonna open the doors um, to a lot of situations that may not have been available to the Vancouver Whitecaps previous to him arriving, and I think Mark, given the right tools, will uh, put a good product on the field that the Vancouver fans and media themselves will uh, will enjoy to watch. Yeah, no doubt, and uh, yeah, it's good for everybody in Canada. I, I have to admit, I'm a been a day one diehard Toronto FC fan, uh, being from the area and following it. So, it, but even then, it, it sucks to see one of the other Canadian teams struggle like uh, like Vancouver did, and um, even from afar. Even though even though the Vancouver Whitecaps were the master of the draw, I guess so. There's something to be said for that, but uh, yeah, definitely, definitely cool. And I'm also game, uh, always game for a team that picks up toss rickets. I always have uh, time. It seems like he's. It's, I'm going to ask you, I guess, how, how good of a dude is Toss? Because he seems like, from the outside, he seems like such an unbelievable guy. Well, he's a great person. You know what? And you know, you can't always say that in the sports world um, that you come across great people. You come across some very talented, exceptional athletes. Sometimes you do come across some great people as well, but it's not all the time. And, 
and he he's one of the good guys. He is he is one of the the guys that I I think when you go across the board um, over a guy's career and you talk to people who have interacted with him, whether it's a coach, whether it's a physio, whether it's a kit man, whether it's a player, um, not many people have if anything bad to say about him. So you know it's it's one of those qualities that. Uh, is is very very well respected uh, amongst your peers and uh, and he does that. Yeah, definitely very cool. If you if you're not a soccer fan talking about uh, a striker to St. Ricketts who's um used to play for TFC and uh um been around the national team for a while. I'm not sure what the space is for him anymore, but uh, uh great for him and and uh, what a career that he's carved out. Uh, all right, well we got to switch gears a little bit and for those that are still listening, I, I really appreciate it uh but, um, you know, obviously what's kind of brought us uh, together, Carlo, is your son. And, um, you know, I look at his, uh, you know, obviously I didn't really know much about him, I have to be honest, before the season. But it seems like, you know, he's been kind of all over the world, all over the map the last couple of years to to try to land and, and um, continue his hockey dream from, you know, obviously playing at home uh, in the BC area, but to, to Manitoba, to Connecticut, um, and then now to Saskatchewan, uh, just kind of, kind of all over, all over uh, the map. Uh, just talk about uh, your your son's, uh, you know, hockey journey and landing in Estevan and, and how much he's enjoying it. Well, yeah, it, it, when you do look at it, it it's interesting, uh, Jamie. When people look at it and they say, "Well, he has gone basically all over Helen Pack," yeah. Um, and and to be honest, it's always been his decision to do so. Um, he, he was a multi-sport athlete up until grade nine. Um, and eventually in grade nine, he finally came to me and said, you know what, Dad, I really want to give hockey a serious go. And I said, well, you know what, buddy, we're behind the eight ball here. we got to get you some some privates. we got to get you going because as much as you played basketball, played baseball, played volleyball, played lacrosse, um, if you're going to now go for it, you, you sort of your fundamentals are a little bit behind. So we bought into that and uh, got him to a couple of academies out here. And then um, he got an opportunity to play Junior B, his final year of midget, which he chose to go to Kamloops and, and play. Again, all, all his decisions, I never told him he had to do anything. And he went and played a year there, which is his first time away from home, which is uh, he learned a lot. Um, and playing there, he got uh, seen by uh Ken Pearson at the time who was at Winkler and he offered him a spot in Winkler. So, you know, CJ in his own right decided, dad, I'm going to go play in Manitoba. And I said, if that's what you want to do, go ahead. I did it. I went and played for the Fury. So go ahead. If that's what you really want to do and you think it's the right thing. And, um, and then he, his intentions were fully to go back to Winkler the following season. And he was just at a skate um, out here at BWC, where Marco Bokovic, his coach from one of the academies, had some summer skates, and he was just skating, and a gentleman approached him from Connecticut and said, I really like what you're doing. Would you come out to Connecticut and be interested in playing junior A in the United States? So again, I left it all up to him, told him to think about it, and he said, you know what, Dad, I think for exposure, what I really want is to go to college in the States and play hockey. He said, I think I should go. Okay, so away he went and made that choice and, uh, you know, got some great exposure on the East Coast. Um, and then um, because he had been out of uh, the hockey environment in Canada for over a year, 
all of a sudden when the free agency market uh, came to play, his name was free to grab. And on the very first day in the morning, Esteban um, Bruins and uh, Chris Lugood had grabbed him up, snapped him up and called him and said, we really want you to come. We're excited. I'd seen you play in Winkler uh, over a year ago and liked what I saw. And so I asked him again, what What are your thoughts? And he said, Dan, I'm going to Saskatchewan. So this is where we are. And he uh, he's chasing the dream of hopefully getting something in college, whether that be a Division three scholarship or whatever it is. He, that's his dream, and that's what he would like to do. So his mom and I are here to facilitate it. That's really cool. That's a great, uh, a great attitude. I think uh, a lot of parents, you know, get involved, and obviously that probably depends on the parents' sort of personality and attitude and stuff. So it's cool that you, you know, continue to to guess treat them like, I don't want to say treat them like an adult, but uh, I guess that's kind of kind of the way it is. And and cool. And, and I, yeah, from definitely, uh, you know, appreciated what I've seen. Seems like he's a bit of a. He's a bit of a pest to play against, I'm sure. But, uh, you know, there you go. Uh, I guess, uh, you know, I got to ask you uh, then a uh, last question here, Carlo, before I before I, I let you go. But, uh, you know, being, uh, you know, being a high-level athlete and then being, um, you know, a, a dad of a high-level athlete, uh, which one is uh, more stressful? Oh, I think for sure is being the dad, for sure, because you have no control. Yeah. You know, as much as you would like to think, oh, he's my kid, you know, um, it's hard to, to step away. I mean, obviously, do I offer um, some insight on how maybe to prepare? I, again, I don't know hockey, never played it. Um, but as an athlete, I can give him some insight what needs to be done to prepare and, and be ready mentally and physically. Um, and, and it's taken some adjustment, trust me. But the biggest compliment I can say that's come my way is um, I would say the majority of all the coaches that CJ's played for, um, you know, it's pretty neat when they come up to you at the end of the season and say, you know what, um, it's a pleasure to have someone like you that isn't knocking on my door every two minutes, that isn't questioning everything I'm doing, that isn't questioning his ice time, or isn't questioning why he gets scratched, because I get it. I get it. it. You know, it's a game. It's it, it, everybody's sort of livelihoods on the line um, when you go down the line from the top to the bottom. So when decisions are made, I know they're not personal. I know they're made for the team purpose and for what is best at the time. So I don't question that. Um, does it hurt me as a dad? Is it tough? Of course it does. But um, I think you know you have to respect the coaches that put in their time and their effort. Um, a lot of these guys. I mean, not so much in junior A anymore, but previous to that, or you know, it's, it's volunteer stuff, and they're doing the best they can, and and they're trying to make your kid the best player he can be. Um, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And being an ex-athlete and and knowing that sort of path, um, you know, I respect their I respect their decision. Yeah, for sure, and that's totally uh, that's very cool. Uh, and uh, what I keep telling people, and Carlo, I don't know if you know, but I write a. Um, I write a column every week uh, on a website here in Saskatchewan. That's a well-read sports website called rodpeterson.com. And um, one of the things I'm constantly writing is um, if there's one team that's sort of bottom half that I expect to make big moves, uh, it's the Estevan Bruins and, and kind of, uh, you know, the, the performances, to, to use soccer lingo, sometimes I can't afford it, avoid it. 
the performances and ta- haven't always led to results for the Bruins yet, but uh, I feel like they will. So, um, you know, tell tell CJ at, uh, to keep on uh, trucking, but uh, he can also take a take it take it easy when he's take, facing North Notre Dame. I'd always appreciate that too. Um, but uh, Carlo, uh, I really appreciate your uh, your time and and uh, let's do this again. All right. Yes, absolutely. Thanks, James.